This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I've called you now, nothing to do with this. One, two, gone, blue stains on my fingertips. Try to put me here underground. You should know. Hi, I'm Jenny Queen, and you're listening to Baby, It Was Real, and We Were the Best, a podcast talking to people from all walks of life about the themes and inspirations behind my new record. For this, our fifth episode, I'll be talking with the legendary Australian music writer and critic Bernard Zuhl, who in the past year has suffered a few slings and arrows and quite outrageously has fashioned a little office for himself built of arrows and slings. Hi, Bernard. Hello. So could you tell folks a bit more about your recent adventures? As in what happened to me in the past year? Well, I, I left the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, or Fairfax Media, which uh, as of yesterday no longer exists. Really? Uh, yes, now it's merging with, with Nine, huh. and uh, we'll just become part of Nine, which sounds utterly mad. But anyway, I left, left there after 25 years as a, as a journalist at the newspaper, and that was in June last year. I recall there was a bit of a kerfuffle on Twitter about that. Well, there was a few, fair few of us leaving, um, as it has been every year for about 10 years, but the last two lots of redundancies, about 100-odd people left each time, which is, given that the numbers were getting, the overall staff was getting smaller every year, losing 100 um, two years in a row was massive. Right. So, but you've done some really interesting things um, with your slings and arrows, what have you done? <laughs> I've fashioned those slings and arrows into a crown of thorns. Uh, <laughs> As you do. <laughs> and also, make, I'm going to make a ring out of one and, and put some non-lethal poison on them. I got that idea from, from some dangerous woman from Ohio. <laughs> Earlier, we were talking about a ring that a great good friend gave me. It's a, in the shape of a snake and has a very pointy tail. And when you shake people's hands, it kind of sticks them and and I may have looked up non-lethal poisons to put on the snake's tail for perfectly reasonable reasons <laughs> you, you know that those things stay on your uh, search history oh my search history I mean I'm doomed based on my search history <laughs> if anybody's ever interested in my search history truly truly doomed so forget porn it's just uh, non-lethal poisons oh no it's all non-lethal poisons and what happens if you leave a body in the woods for like yeah no it's bad well that's good research material for a song obviously that's the only reason you're doing it of course song short stories what does blood smell like after a week things like that what does blood smell like after a week rough (laughs) (laughs) does it smell like chicken no god (laughs) I don't <clears throat> I mm, decomp is I, I think mostly right yeah 
You asked. I did, and, and I'm, I'm very glad I asked. So, this will save me some research. See, there you go. I can save you the trouble of getting arrested <laughs> for your search history. So, But back to your question. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, look, I've, I've um, been doing some more work with the online TV show, uh, The Right Note, doing interviews there. I've been teaching teaching young journalism students who somehow still think that there's a career in journalism. And uh, God bless their little I hearts. I know, it's sweet. <laughs> and some of them even want to be a music journalist, which is, it's, it's like I say, uh, I'm, I'm not just going to be uh, someone who fashions a horse and, horse and carriage. I'm going to be someone who makes leather rings for a horse and carriage. Uh-huh. It's kind of specialization in redundant, redundancy that, that's beautiful. It is kind of sweet. It is. It's like it's like going into Polaroid. Well, oh, Polaroid came back. That's Who right. the hell knows, Bernard? Yeah. Though, knows? of course, we we now we know that you don't actually shake it like a Polaroid. <laughs> you don't. Apparently not. It doesn't make it happen any faster. It doesn't make it happen any faster. But it makes you feel better exactly. about the time in between. And uh, look, I've lived my life on the basis that it doesn't necessarily make it any better, but it's fun while it's happening. So when you're waiting to cross the street, do you push the button once or do you just keep pushing it? I, I don't push it all anymore. Really? No. I, I stand there and say, I resist, I resist. Because there's a part of me which just wants to press and press and press. I confess that I have on occasion just kept pressing the button and looked at people around me like, what are you going to do about it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you hold up your hand with that that (laughs) snake ring. With the snake ring. What are you going to do about it? That's right. Say something. Come on. Say something, dude. I won't let my son do it, though, because it's bad habit. (laughs) Anyway. Well, so you're teaching... Teaching students. I'm I'm doing some media training. So teaching... I'm teaching people how to ask questions of people who don't necessarily want to answer. And then I'm, I'm teaching people who don't want to answer the questions, how not to answer those questions. Yeah, you mentioned that to me the other day. That's really interesting because <laughs> I am really bad at not answering questions I don't want to answer. It's part of my whole I can't lie thing. I don't know if you know this. I'm a really bad liar. Um, and if I don't want to answer a question, I just like start to flush a little and then I'll start flapping my hands and then I'll just you know start sputtering or... Um, yeah. That might be a little bit of a tell. Oh, you know, the other thing I can't do is I can't play poker. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I always argue it's not a question of not answering the question. It's just finding the right way to answer it. And if there's things you don't want to say, then you find ways, things to say. Yeah. And then if that all fails, I was thinking the other day, it's like, let's defer, put it off till the end of the interview if you can, deflect, find something else or deny but that's not denying the question. That's just denying them an answer. So you just sit silently. My advice is if you go on radio or TV, you're in their territory, but they have particular requirements. And if they, they don't like dead air, so if you just sit there and refuse to answer, look, it's the last desperate measure, but if you sit there and refuse to answer, they freak out. Well, they would. Dead air, I'm told, mm-hmm. is a very, very bad thing to have and do. Or... That's right. So it's your, your, your final sort of, um, destroy all things button depressed but if it has to happen <laughs> the nuclear button That's right. good to know good to know this is interesting so you have done about a blue billion interviews with very interesting people and i know everyone asks you what i have to do so what are your not so much your best interview or your worst interview what was the most interesting interview you did oh, or have done several uh, um Martin Scorsese is one that I was 
bring up because y'all should have seen the face of this man. <laughs> I didn't even know he interviewed him. Really? <laughs> well, the, the sad thing about that is it could have been even better. I was in New York for three weeks and I kept trying for this interview, and they kept telling me. You know, Marty's people kept telling me that uh, <laughs> I said, Look, if Marty's people can call my people, uh, and they kept telling me that he's he'll do it. It's just not available just now. And after three weeks, I had to go home. And then I got a call a week or two later saying Marty's available. Uh, sure, Look, I'll talk to him. I'll let it happen. So it could have been face to face, which would have been incredible. They would have had to be seated because you know they would have, I would have been tempted to put a drink on top of his head or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Yes, I'm a sizist. Um, but it was a fascinating interview because I've talked to a few people like him who who have completely formed answers, and it's not prepared answers. It's not as if he's got some book in front of him. He was addressing my questions and taking them seriously and answering them properly, but his, his answers came out in long sentences, in fully formed thoughts that went on for quite some time. And um, sometimes with people like that, you're thinking, or people give you long answers, thinking, okay, the answer is actually two minutes ago, and we've had another two minutes. I really want to move on. With him, it's just, okay, that's great. Take note. Next time I get a word in, I'm going to pick up on that point. So that was fascinating, and it was exciting. I was. It must be interesting to get deeper into a mind like that. I mean, I've noticed Bill Clinton tends to answer questions in that way. Like, they're very complicated and complete answers. It, that's exactly what it is. You, you want to get in, you think, this is this is fascinating. This is just five minutes. I, w- I wish I could get another hour or two hours or three hours into even that answer. Uh, so that was, he was a fascinating man, and, and he had really interesting thoughts on, on film and filmmaking, obviously. I mean, th- this is what he does. But just because someone is good at doing it doesn't mean they're very good at talking about it. Yes, I do know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was great. Um, Susan Sarandon was also interesting for something similar in that she, the people I've had the best interviews with are the ones that just walk away thinking, God, they're smart. They're, they're thoughtful. I, I don't necessarily agree with all that Susan Sarandon's done over the years, the last couple of years in particular. But she she actually had thoughtful answers to, to what I hope would be questions that would provoke those kind of answers but she had really good answers pj harvey um the few times i've spoken with her again just really interesting people who make me nervous beforehand that i want to make sure that i don't look stupid next to them those are the ones that generally turn out to be the most interesting where i'm just hyped to the point of do not say anything stupid because i'm prone to saying the stupidest things you yeah i know I know. I'm stunned, <laughs> sir. Stunned. You're stunned that it's not the only thing I do. <laughs> no, I'm just giving you a hard time. Pulling your pigtails. So, no, that's pretty cool. Um, PJ Harvey, I would like to have a chat with PJ Harvey. Just, I mean, you know, about the weather. Anything. <laughs> anything at all. Well, it's great talking to her, too, because she has that... Um, black country accent which is sort of borderline it's the kind of thing you, you know, growing up um, with English shows it, it was usually a, um, associated with the kind of yokel characters and so there's this little slight yokel strain um, to someone who's really interesting and it's, it's, you, you, and it's not her singing voice as well obviously so or singing accent so that's it's really interesting hearing them speak like that and then talk to you about things that are that are completely out of context with the voice, uh, the speaking voice or the accent. 
Well, I'm I'm pro yokel, and um, <laughs> well, yeah. I'm I'm pure yokel. <laughs> <laughs> I come from Western Western Sydney back in the days when uh, it seemed to be the far end of the world. Gosh, and it's hard to think that there was a time when Western Sydney was the far end of the world. But I believe I believe you might come from those days. <laughs> And that's not an insult. I was just thinking about like, you know, Western Sydney at the moment is actually a bit trendy and cool and amazing. Well, when when I moved out to, to Western Sydney, it's not even. I mean, now it's it's almost in a west. It's around forty minutes from the centre of town um, on those roads. You know, we went on horse and you know, horse and cart, you know, yes. carrying sheep in our pockets to keep our hands warm. <laughs> um, but it, it seemed to go on forever. And then the, my relatives moved even further out. They may as well have been in the country. But then it just seemed bizarre that um, that anything would happen out where we were. Uh, there was a th- the thing is, though, that there were these pockets of um, a, another life, a, a cultural life. It was in the Bankstown Theatrical Society, for example, which was great. They actually put on shows, and I was in a couple of them, and, and you know they did proper theatre, but it seemed as if the world we had there was nothing, uh, had no, no connection to the world that was happening in the real world, you know, in, in, in a city. Right, and now it's also connected. It is, though in some ways it's even more isolated than the people. But then while the, there was this life happening in Sydney, you could actually, just in music, you could, you could have a musical life in Western Sydney in those days, this is 70s and 80s, where people played out there. You didn't have to spend most of your night getting to or from Annandale or Surrey Hills or something. You could see all the bands that were playing in Australia at the time in Cabramatta or Fairfield or Gladesville or anywhere like that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So in some ways it was quite isolated, but in other ways it felt like you could exist there without uh, without having to be part of, of of the world that you thought was not yours anyway that the world in in some ways came to you now you don't need you, people don't leave there I, I've got friends and, and relatives who who whose life doesn't need uh, a trip into the city I still do it because this is where the things I'm interested in but you can live out there and have no connection to the city you don't it's the difference is where I used to feel like I was on the outside looking in they'd say yeah that happens over there I'm not that interested in it there's there's no uh, pull or yearning for for a connection to that part of the city that's just somewhere else so there's not a lot of people coming from there into the city like Every day. Oh, there still are. Okay. But you, you can exist culturally, uh, socially, uh, without without having to, to to be part of that other part of Sydney. Right. You know, it used to be that you know, people who in the northern beaches uh, they were just aliens to me, and the, and the southern the southern 
the suburbs, <laughs> the Shire. I briefly tried to go out with a girl from the Sutherland Shire when I lived out west as a school kid. And I remember sitting there for a long time trying to work out how I would get there. <laughs> That's really charming. Because it never happened, partly because I'm sure at some point someone in her family probably said, you're going out with a boy from Fairfield? I don't think so. Oh, my God. Surely not. Definitely. Oh, my goodness. We, were, we we had girls from Strathfield who looked down on us. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> I'm out of my league. I don't know anything about all of this geographical. This, it, I think that's a Jersey girl joke, but I'm not positive. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you the question that I ask everybody on this podcast. Um, do you think that you are? the force, that you are the force shaping your own destiny, or do you feel more as if uh, fate is sort of propelling you along? Oh, I'm definitely not the force. I, I think uh, I've, I've thought at times that I could change things, um, but it's only tinkering. I'm at the complete mercy of, of forces beyond me. Not a you know, not a god, not, uh, not not even fate. I don't, I don't believe in things being fated to happen. They just happen. It's like I, I don't believe there's a that everything happens for a reason. I think we find reasons for everything that happens. That's absolutely fair answer to the question. I am fascinated by the wide range of answers that you get, and I'm also interested. Like the younger the person you ask, the more they are positive that they are driving the car. Oh yeah. Generally. Um, well, you have to. You have to believe that you're driving the car. At some point in your life, you have to think that it, it's up to. You, it's in your hands to create your life, because otherwise, you probably won't bother. I think eventually you get you get some sense that that okay, it is out of your control. But at that point, things have already happened to you. But if you, th- you think, well, I've, what's the point? I've I've got no control over this. I want to be this, and it's not going to happen. I don't know that I have ever felt that I was in charge of my own life <laughs> or that I was making things happen. But I've always been real happy to be along for the ride. <laughs> so, and I've talked with different people about socioeconomic status and whether that makes you more likely to be like, ah, oh, well, you know, shit happens. <laughs> It's happening to me. That's fine. Yeah. Whatever. Um, I think that that is a big factor. I do too. I, I came from a middle class, lower middle class. Um, of course, everyone always put them, put themselves a, a layer below, a level below where they actually were. So I'll just say middle class. Um, but you aspired to taking control of your life, and you looked at all these other people who had money. I mean, when I went to university, I went to to law school, and uh, and all these kids around me. I was one of two from Western Sydney in my year, the list I could tell. And um, just, this is the straight law course, so not that broader course where uh, more real people came. And everybody in my class seemed to be from eastern suburbs, low North Shore. They all knew judges and barristers or whatever. And I thought, well, I've got no control. I've, I can't do anything about this. This is out of my control. These are people who, who are controlling their lives. Of course, they weren't. They were just heading down a path that was determined by what their parents had done exactly and their access but to me it seemed i was as well but um i had no means to change what was happening while they had all the means they had the money they had the connections so to me that seemed like they were in control and i wasn't i was in a really similar situation when i went to grad school because i came from a state school state university and most of the people in the program had come from private universities 
And all the state school kids stuck real close together. We were all like, oh, my God. (laughs) There's only like seven of us. (laughs) And and it was a very similar feeling that like everybody, you know, everybody else had more money, more access, more. But again, I don't know that I've ever felt like I was completely driving the car. I was cool with it, I think. Well, I think that's, that's when it started to hit me that there was a limit to... Um, I'd never entirely believed that you can be whomever you want to be and, and, and do whatever you want to do thing because it just didn't seem entirely possible. But that's when I started to realize that uh, there was probably even less truth of that than I realized. Yeah. Um, but, the, but the flip side of that is things did happen I, and I did create a life for myself in some way. So, um, And you'd like to think you had a hand in that. But I think all you do is is maybe throw in a random element in it and everything else that happens if you're lucky sends you that way i think there's an enormous amount of luck an enormous amount of saying yes when people throw weird choices your way like you know here's an opportunity that it's possibly a little loony you're like yes i'll do it (laughs) you know i think there's a lot of that yeah um in my experience anyway now i'm gonna move us along as a general rule with this i assign everybody to a song on the record. And I had a really tough time assigning a song to you uh, for the episode. This time, I have chosen Lady Lazarus for you. Though, like I said, I had a really rough time with this. Are you a Plath fan at all? A, a Plath. Plath. Sylvia Plath. <laughs> yes, I thought you said Plath. So it's like the blue. <laughs> Are I'm, you a Bluth fan I'm, at I'm, all? <laughs> I'm more a Bluth. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm, I'm, yes, I, I'm, I'm going to join the Bluth family because I'm a never nude. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I'm not. Um, unless you count uh, loving... Uh, the Ryan Adams song. Oh, that's a really uh, good song. Uh, but no, I, I don't think I've ever read any substantial Sylvia Plath. So you haven't actually read much of no. it? Good gravy. Oh, no, it's, it's appalling, isn't it? That is appalling. It's culturally, it, it's a cultural failure and, and I'm ashamed. No, you shouldn't be. But you should, I'll, I'll send you a copy of Ariel. I, I have I have a love-hate, I have some problems with her. Um, I love the imagery. I love her anger. But of course, given her and she turned all that beautiful anger inward. Um, I have a problem with that. No, I don't have a problem with that. I have a sadness with that. Mm. And so in the song, Lady Lazarus, there's an outward turning of the anger, (laughs) which is quite on purpose. It was written for someone else, actually. It was written for Sinead Burgess, which makes it a lot harder for me to sing. Um, (laughs) I hope that turning out of the anger in Lady Lazarus is medicinal for Plath fans. So the, the thing you wish she'd done. Yeah, I wish she'd gone medieval on Ted Hughes's yeah. ass. Absolutely. <laughs> I wish she'd taken a, a, a shovel upside his head. Yeah, he, uh, he needed a few shovels and, and a few other sharp pointed bits as well. I think. A, a, a very, very sharp ring <laughs> with some non-lethal poison, perhaps. <laughs> Anyway, no, he he was um, he was a, a great poet and very proud of himself, very proud of himself, and not. It sounds to me like not particularly kind to her, and I think it had a lot to do with her downward spiral at the end, and that's too bad. But you need to read Ariel. Well, see, I, I, I would argue that the problem with uh, with Hughes is not so much that he was malevolent as just not kind. Uh, I mean, that kindness spreads out to. To more things is in you know, perceptive and um, understanding, but 
that lack of kindness, I think, is the uh, crucial thing that we we neglect when we talk about people behaving badly or people suffering in relationships. It's that absence of kindness. You're right. It wasn't an overt cruelty. It was a lack of awareness and a lack of kindness. Yeah. But see, that's not a small thing. I think that's a big thing. I think that that is more important than cruelty, that cruelty is an extension of it. But the lack of kindness means that you can give someone the appearance of, of being there for them, but in fact you're not. While cruelty, it's clear, you know, you're, you're there to hurt. Right. No, cruelty is more a cartoon yeah. emotion, whereas lack of kindness is more killing in the end. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I think on that entirely cheerful note, <laughs> Bernard Zool, we'll listen to Lady Lazarus. Thank you for coming in. This is Jenny Queen, and this is Baby It Was Real, and we were the best. One, two, gun, blue stains on my fingertips. Try to put me here underground. You should know.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.